So yeah, so Thailand was was great, and uh, then from there I went to uh, to Guam, and that was nice too. Hello and welcome to Women Travel, a podcast about the places women have been and the things they did there. I'm your host, Morgan Estberg. Thank you for joining me this week for part two of my interview with Terry Vaseco Atwood, where we wrap up her trip to Vietnam. We also discuss the question of what is world peace, and it was a very delightful interview. I laughed a lot, smiled a lot, and it had the feel of two people talking over a beer. So I hope you enjoy the conversation, and thank you. For listening. What was notable about Guam? Because I know right now it's more of a so South Korea treats Guam kind of like a, a tourist destination. Um, uh, South Korea, Japan treats yeah. it as like it's, it's like, like a honeymoon. It's kind of like our equivalent to the Caribbean you or know? Hawaii. Yeah, or Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. yeah Guam at the time was um, it was expensive, but not what it is now. It was um, it. I just want to yeah. correct that thing about, it's, yes, a lot of Americans think the Caribbean is a good vacation spot. There's, It's very problematic, and I just want to say that I acknowledge that. <laughs> um, good. Okay. Disclaimer. Good. Now, yeah. back yeah. to Guam. Yeah, I don't, but but yeah. Guam was... Um, Guam was uh, was great. The beaches are sandy, but the problem is the, the, uh, the water, you, you can't get above waist until you go way, way far out, and there's a reef. So, yeah, so... You say that's a problem. That sounds really nice. Yeah, actually, okay, <laughs> it was. And um, I, uh, first time I'd ever swam at night, and mm-hmm. you didn't have to worry about sharks or anything because because of that reef and the full moon, and the water was so warm, and it was wonderful. And there's a lot of touristy destinations there to go to, and um, it was... Um, and a McDonald's, so what more, you know. The, Na- <laughs> the Navy's there, and the Air Force is there, and it was, yeah, it was... It was um, it was really nice, kind of crowded. There was there were a lot of uh, people there, but you know, small island. And a lot of Japanese. That was where they came for Hawaii or for um, their honeymoon. Yeah. Does and, um, is the main language in Guam J- Japanese? English. Or it's English. English. It's yeah. a territory. Yeah. My ignorance is showing. Oh well. <laughs> no. And so then I went from Guam to Taiwan, and uh, Taiwan was a total different experience from Thailand. Um, one thing, I flew commercial from San Francisco, stopped in Yokota, Japan, which when I got off the plane, it was this incredible smell. Like, what is that? Well, they use human, human fertilizer. So that smell is there. So interesting. But I really would have liked to see more of Japan, but I was just there in the airport and boom, back to Taiwan. They must have been doing that for a lot longer because I know that in, um, Boise, Idaho, they have, they do that as well. At the water treatment plant, they pull out there you uh, go. Well, hard material, yeah. uh, and then they, yeah, use it as fertilizer as well. That's what so. Matt Damon used on Mars. It is stuff. Must be real. I saw it in a documentary. But no, I, that's really cool. They must have been doing that for a lot longer yeah. than oh, true, um, because they have no here, other... but that's been copied. Um, in the well, uh, there's a and there's a, a group of Japanese, especially during the time when they were caste system, that that was their job, and they were looked down upon because they were the the night soil gatherers. Yeah, so yeah, that's a rough job to shake. I would think it would be. Yeah. So, but but whatever grew the crops. So, so I landed in Taipei, and the first thing I needed to find was a bathroom, and I could not speak Chinese, couldn't read Chinese, and so it took me a while to find somebody that could understand I 
need to use a restroom. And the, the restrooms in the airport, you go in the women's and then you can make a little turn and come out the men's. They all kind of are together there, separated by a wall. But. Well, and that's the other thing about Thailand, talking about culture. Their bathrooms are simply a hole in the in the floor with two little foot pads and then you squat and then they have a, a big urn with water urn with water next to it that with a with a little bowl that you scoop out and you take the water and put it down that little hole and flushes it. I lost oh. my ID card down that hole one time. No. Because, <laughs> you know, when you, you know, it comes out of your pocket. Anyway, I had to reach down. That was, yeah. But anyway, that was... I lost an iPhone that way. Yeah. When oh, I was yeah. in eighth grade. Oh, yeah. yeah. In, the, in the toilet? In the <laughs> actual... Oh, yeah. Because, you know, those back yeah, pockets, yeah. they flip out. Yeah. Oh, it comes okay. right out. I know they need to... I relate. They need to figure out a way to not we, to do that. I have a whole tangent about pants. I think I figured out <laughs> the better way to do it is we need pockets on the side. Yeah, just I don't like know combat why. pants. That's not a thing. Yes. Yes, the combat pants. We don't need pockets in the front and the back. No. They make your booty look bad. Exactly. And things fall out. Exactly. Who was whose idea was that to Dummies. put pockets in the back? I don't know. Men, probably with pockets. With, who had wallets? I guess. Yeah, but you're right. But they, even that's bad for their butts. Yeah, and plus it leaves a little spine, a little wallet thing. No. Uh, Image. No, we need them on the side. I agree. I agree. Yep. Combat pants. That's what yes. we need to do. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> they wouldn't have fallen out if I had it in the side. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, I found a bathroom in Thailand. Then I had to get a taxi and take a taxi down to Taipei, which is at the southern part of the, the island, to CCK Air Force Base. So then I got there, and I worked in radio there, and... Um, it was uh, it was not as wonderful as Thailand. I could not speak the language, much mm. too tonal. And I, I have a friend at Helena College. She's from Hong Kong. And so I was practicing some of my Chinese with her, and she would giggle. Come to find out, I was speaking Mandarin, and in Hong Kong they speak Cantonese. Oh. And I felt like a real fool. <laughs> so anyway. But anyway. Um, so I could not speak. I could not speak the language. It's too tonal. And it was way too crowded. Yeah. lots of people and um and different smell and di oh the people are different and thailand's called the land of smiles for sure because everybody loved us i mean americans were just treated very royally there and lots of smiles and lots of we'll help you we'll do whatever you can when you want the chinese are more into themselves and, and not quite as friendly to us but but it kind of okay. makes sense. Yeah, and it was okay. Yeah. Um, I got married in Taiwan to an, a fellow American, and uh, we had a we had to have a Chinese ceremony, and which meant we had to have a uh, a Chinese magistrate and a um, uh, interpreter. Is this the same guy who you went no, swimming this, with at night? Or no, 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 no. This is <laughs> that was in Guam. No, no. Right. This is this is a security policeman who I met in. In Different Taiwan. guy for each island. I respect that. <laughs> there we go. So anyway, so the, I remember the only three things I remember for the ceremony was uh, love each other, love your country, and have lots of children. Because if you know in the news right now what's going on, uh, Taiwan 
wants to be independent Mm -hmm. and they wanted to have lots of children and love your country so they could fight the Chinese when the Chinese inevitably make their move to come take over the island. So the island, the part of the island that faced China, all mined. You couldn't go on the beach or do anything because it was all mined because when the Chinese came over, they wanted to be able to stop them. And periodically, all the time, big parades down with the, with their tanks and everything just for no reason. So military display. Yeah. See us, we have big tanks and, so, um, yeah, so it was different. But, you know, it was, it was, I think I'd been spoiled by Thailand, so. And then Taiwan, and then the base closed, and so I wasn't there the full year, and we had to shut down the radio station and everything. And, mm. and then I had this wonderful assignment to the Azores. Oh, would love to have gone. But the ex-husband uh, did not want to go. He wanted to come back to Texas. So, mm. uh, so that was the end of my military career. Hey. Oh, there we go. So, yeah. yeah. You want to tell you about Texas? <laughs> That's all I have to say about Texas. <laughs> brief. Brief. Brief, yes. Uh, so it was a culture specific. shock for a little Montana girl, I'll have to say that. Yeah. So anyway. So anyway, so yeah, that's my travels. Uh, although, wow. when I was a little girl, I lived in Spain for three years because we were stationed there. That was wonderful. No, that's enough. We're good. <laughs> Maybe for another episode. No, no, I know. Oh. No, I just throw that out for another time. So, no, but there you go. So, any any other questions yeah. or what? Anything else I can? Um, I that was phenomenal. So, first of all, thank you so much for sharing. Well, well when you get as old as I do, you have a lot to share, <laughs> or as old as I am. <laughs> well, I think it's really the the coolest part about this is that you acknowledge that you didn't know much about the world, but you just went out there and did it. And I think that's the the best way that you can live, in my opinion, at this point, is like, well, you go out there, you do it, you do the thing, and then, you know, you, you deal with those challenges, and then you grow from there. So clearly, clearly you've grown as a person. I think I have, um, yeah. Changed your mind about a few things mm-hmm. and, and all of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess, so my last question is, what is something that you are hopeful for? It's cliche, but I'm hopeful for world peace. You know, I wanted it back then um, during Vietnam. Mm. What would that look like? World peace? Yeah. I think it would look like all of us being lobotomized. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I mean, I just don't think it's possible. We're we're all too different. And peace looks so different to everybody, you know, to Mm -hmm. every person. Um, So I don't know. I really don't. Uh, Wish I knew. Maybe in your lifetime. Or or maybe if we can't be lobotomized, we're all just stoned. Might help. No. Couldn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I think I think the best path to peace is teaching people to be comfortable like accepting themselves and you know to understand how to accept other people. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I think that's a big part of the Acceptance. path. Acceptance. Yeah. yeah. And how do we achieve that, you know? Um We're going to solve it right now. This is our Christmas miracle. Um, We tried so hard in the 60s. I mean, that's what my mm -hmm. generation was all about. Mm -hmm. You know, peace and and love and understanding. And um, if we couldn't have solved it with the best intentions. I feel like there was 
just like there is today, a lot of that um, separation between the two parties. And there wasn't really any um, education or, or reduction of ignorance, really. There was just, hey, we're going to choose to live this way and not deal with the emotional consequences of our upbringing and, and those kinds of stuff. So, because you, I've heard a lot of stories of... Um, especially women just ODing on drugs. Um, and I think because you felt like you had to always be happy and positive in that kind of environment, it led to not being able to experience the full spectrum of emotions. And then there was the other side that was also very repressive. That was the, the conservative side that was like, you don't, you're not allowed to feel anything. Everything's fine. Um, and we have to control and there's like a sense of control there. So, um, I think the difference now is moving towards, you know, accepting the wide range of, ex of emotions, um, and as well as open education, like over the past 10 years, there's been so much more published about, uh, mental illness, uh, and minority cultures and, uh, women cultures that's being talked about that's being uh promoted not as niche but as a priority and so i think it's that level of education that allows people to begin accepting themselves begin accepting their emotions and then to expand to accepting learning more about other cultures dealing with those complicated emotions that come up with feeling awkward feeling guilty feeling angry and then to accept other people listening to what you were just saying, I, I think fear. I think people yeah. are afraid. I think that's the whole thing right now, and the whole thing with uh, with what's happening with removal of books in school and, and everything is people are afraid of the unknown. People are afraid of what's going to happen if you give the women the right to vote. Yeah. What's going to happen if you let women go out there and get a job? What's going to happen if you let minorities, immigrants, come into our community? Mm -hmm. And I think if you had an absence of fear then maybe people might be a little bit more accepting. I don't know. I will definitely say that fear is what hinders me whenever I'm at like a growth turn. And Absolutely. then I'm like, I, I clearly remember when I started seeking help for mental illness, for depression. And uh, I was really freaked out. I was like, what if I become a different person? <laughs> like, and that's always the fear is like, yeah. I like me. I don't want to, I don't right. want to dislike me, but I also don't want to feel this way or have these thoughts anymore. And so it, it really was, and that constantly happens where I'm like, no, I like where I'm at. Just keep it constant, but right. you can't. And, and so that's the back and forth. I think that's like an eternal struggle. Yeah. Um, and I, it is that yeah. fear. Yeah. And then. Well, and, and the desire for something to be constant. And I think that's maybe, there's probably like a human curse to it where we as humans want things to be constant so desperately, but we can't have that. Right. Like animals are much more adaptive um, to, to that when, oh, the weather's different or mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the food's different, you know, right. to be able to acknowledge that something has changed and then move forward with it right. rather than to be like, no, but I had, but I had a yeah. different food yesterday and yeah. I want that same food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so I think there's the fear, but it's also that, that desire for 
for consistency. Right, exactly. And Which I think is, that's a human, just well, a and, and that's the problem we're in right now. The last two years have been too much change, too much fear, too much inconsistency, so much, too yeah. much. And, and as a species, for some reason, that's not been wired into us to accept change easily and to move on and to be adaptive. Mm-hmm. We, we seem to well, fight that. And I don't know whether it's as a species or if it's a uh, cultural issue. Because I think that, you know, you could certainly argue from uh, the, the media of the 1950s of, you know, you live in your suburb life and you have this kind of standard, that if that's the pattern, then anything outside of that is wrong. And, and it just culturally did such a, got embedded so deeply that it's hard to shake. So I can't tell if it's a species issue or if it's a culture issue. Well, there's a lot to be said for it not being a culture issue because you look at some place like Holland and the Netherlands and they seem to adapt to stuff a lot easier than we do. Yeah. But And there's a lack of uh Holland's known for having a lack of shame culture. Right, right. Well and so is um so well I remember when we were growing up in Spain, they didn't have a whole lot of shame either. So I think and um I think, and then you look at Japan, where their whole Bushido and the whole, uh, you know, you shame so, somebody in the family shames you, they have to go commit harakiri, you know, back then. I don't think they do it anymore now. I don't know. No, but anyway, so it's, a lot of, yeah, a so lot it's, of a, it's a different culture. I, it, it could be a, a, a cultural thing, but I think, I, I don't know. I mean, I would think if it's not a species thing, then I would think maybe every other country in the world would be more adapt, uh, adaptive and, and uh, easygoing. Mm-hmm. So I think it has to be some tribal, you know, that we, we like comfort in our tribe and we want to keep it that way and we don't want to change. And mm-hmm. maybe America's more so because, oh, who knows why? I mean, America just, yeah. We had those 50s and they were a great time and I think we want that time to be good again and it's there's no way it can ever be like that again. And I'm going to point out the 50s was not great for a lot of people. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm looking at one, one subset, aren't I? And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It wasn't. But then again, you got to go back and think what decade in America was good for everybody. Well, and that's kind of where I'm at, where I'm like, it's got to be in the future, and maybe peace would look like having a stronger, uh, you know, United Nations um, that do- that has very strong regulations on military, because then we would, as a blank, like, globally, have restrictions on military, and then it's just like, well, so people can still fight over money mm-hmm. and wealth, but not fight over borders anymore well i think um, the, the, i think the only way to achieve peace is to get and and, and even though now it, it seems to be changing women are coming up and being more aggressive but it seems to to have men not want to rule the world <laughs> because mm-hmm. i mean that's how world war ii came about you know yeah Japanese wanted to rule the world, Hitler wanted to rule the world, and right now, if you look at the countries that are doing away with democracy, they seem to be dictators that want to rule the world, and that, again, you don't see that as much in women that desire to be, uh, you know, rule the world, although that will probably happen, because I see women becoming more aggressive, more 
assertive but right now it's it's men who say i i need that power i need Mm -hmm. i want to rule the world and until you get men to be able to and i don't know maybe i'm being sexist here i apologize it's my age showing but um i do seem to think that we need the people like putin's and um and other uh the, the brazilian leader who's we need them to to back off and say there's no reason for you to be leader for life, Putin. Oh God, well, it doesn't come get me. Just, but anyway, I mean, you know, and and that seems to be a male trait. It's well because they want to be in charge of a world regardless of what it looks like, and that's the thing that blows my mind. Is like with Brazil and and uh, carving out their rainforests. What? Do you you want to be in charge of a plot of land, but not a beautiful forest, or not in charge of, you know, like and helping the planet? Historically, when um, and this is based on my knowledge of American politics, but historically, when women are in charge, they also take care of the aesthetics, um, which may not be the uh, always the best thing, but it is paying attention to. Um, What's coming to mind is uh, Lyndon B. Johnson's wife, Lady Bird Johnson, who had the Clean Up America. The Beautification of America. Beautification of America Mm -hmm. uh, campaign where she had dumpsters moved and had basically the highways cleared up so that they can be the beautiful vistas that we have Mm -hmm. for the most part. And so based on my knowledge of what First Ladies have done is is that's a priority as well, Mm -hmm. Um, is not only maintaining strength but also keeping in mind of what it will look like what will we be in charge of mm-hmm. and will it look good or will it just be you know a minefield i know it's I, so i think you have a point i think we're going through a a period in our history where i honestly think historians 200 years ago from now will look back and call this the dark ages because we seem to be regressing and it's like it's like that dip before we start shooting up. Right. And I'm just waiting for that right. turn. Well, yeah. and I hope it comes in your lifetime. I am yeah. so jaded that I am angry that probably the last few decades of my life will be this this struggle that we're in right now and that I won't live to see you come up, you know, to yeah. to that to that next golden era. Um but well, and you have to have the down to have the up. You have to have the yin to have the yang. Yeah. And unfortunately, this is that time period right now. I'm just, I guess, eager or uh, excited. I, I don't know what the word is. But so if this first part of the century is mimicking a lot of last century, the 1900s, I don't want to mimic <laughs> the next 30 years of, of you know, the uh, two wars and then the Great Depression and then uh, the media control of the 1950s and, and suburbia. Like, I don't want any of us to repeat that well, um, because it was a lot of, um, you know, violence and war and then just repression. Yeah. And so... Yeah, but I am it, it has to happen. that we're going to go a different direction. It has to happen. Optimistic. You have to have a war. You have to have something. There's, it's building up. It's building up. It's building up. There has to be a pressure release, and there has to be something that releases that pressure. I don't think it pressure. has to be a war, though. Well, well what, could, what else could it be? It, it has to be so cataclysmic that it changes. Now, if you look back at the other three periods in, in our history where we've had this, 
the Revolutionary War. We had, there were people that did not want to break for Britain. And they did everything they could to undermine what the patriots were doing to try to, to, be, to be independent. And so you had that same anger and that same distrust and that same brother against brother. You just don't hear about it as much because there wasn't the newspaper, there wasn't the editorials, you know, Thomas well, Paine. Well, wouldn't record there, it, yeah. Right, exactly. But that was, there was that friction. And then when the war came and the war ended and we declared our independence, then there wasn't anything for those British supporters to do but to come on board. And then the next time we had it was the Civil War. The same terrible anger and hatred that's going on now is going on then. The difference was you had a distinct Mason-Dixon. You had a distinct, the South was in a distinct geographic area and the North was in a distinct geographic area. And so you didn't have that so much neighbor against neighbor, brother against brother in like a, in a community like Clancy. And then you had the war and then the war ended. And even though the war did not stop the racial problems that we're still having, it at least ended that. And even today, though, you could say it, it never really finished it because we still had that disparity. And then the next time it happened was during Vietnam. And that was generation against generation. I mean, we hated the older people. They didn't understand us. Our music reflected how angry and upset we were. Uh, men having to go die for something just because they pulled a number in the lottery and having to go over there and do it and 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 it was it was terrible there's so much divisiveness and then the war ended and then we kind of died down and we kind of went back into a period where even though I didn't particularly care for the 70s myself the 80s and the 90s I thought were kind of cool in the 2000s and then we had 9/11 and now we're building back up to that what is going to release that and how's that going to look if we have a war within our own country, that's going to be devastating. But what will bring us together is if somebody attacks us, mm -hmm. then we will pull together. But then that means we have to fight somebody in our world. We have to use atomic weapons, you know. Yeah, right? Like, I'm, we're, the atomic weapons is a huge reason why we probably haven't had any wars. Oh, absolutely. Past. But also... I think it's possible to do it without a war. Um, I think there's... I think restructuring can happen... Well, I was optimistic that COVID would be the initiator that Should really be. said, hey, Should we need be. to overhaul this system, especially the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that it hasn't been is definitely due to the leadership at the time. I, God, I just... I want... I don't know enough historically to say, like, if there are examples of it, but it has to have happened without a war. You say no. <laughs> You're shaking I your head. I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I I don't think so. Especially You're... because we have atomic weapons. And... Moreover, I don't want more freaking money going into the military budget. Like, there shouldn't, there is no excuse to have the kind of military budget that America has. Well, yeah, well, there isn't because, you know, we've got the UN, it's disgusting. we've got yeah. diplomacy, we've got um, the majority of the countries in the world speak English also, so we can communicate why we're not communicating with each other, yeah. why we're not 
working together as a world there to was, solve problems. I don't understand. Yeah, and I think that the climate crisis is going, it, I mean, it has to be the thing that a leader latches onto that says this needs to be fixed. Now, this is our war, and even though you can't see it, you can feel it. And moreover, there are solutions globally that we need to start using. And I think the best person or the best uh, idea that I got in response to that is that we, God, use that bravado and that energy, uh, very masculine American energy, (laughs) use it to compete um, against the other countries to have the greenest country, to fix it the best. Um, there was a senator from New York who had recommended that why are we militarily trying to compete against China when we could be environmentally competing against China? We still have the ability to monitor those numbers and say, hey, we're doing much better. And I think the technology race in that regard is the direction that could bring us closer to world peace. And it wouldn't require a war. It just requires, oh, I don't know, the imminent doom of our population. Yeah, but... I, well, I know, <laughs> Similar and, to an atomic war. <laughs> and I agree with you 100%, but how do you deal with those people who say the world is still flat? <laughs> or that we didn't go to the moon? You or that JFK is coming back? I mean, God, how, that was wild. How, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think... I, I just don't see humans being able to come together like that. One of the questions that was asked to me in my government class when I was in high school was, how do you see the world coming, pulling together, working together as, as people? Now, I wasn't really the brightest bulb in the, in the package back then, but for some reason, I came up with, on my own, the idea that the only thing that's going to bring us together as a world is to be attacked by aliens. And I got an A on the paper. But this is 19, no, I, I, this is 1971, before Independence or any of the science fiction movies that have come out that have come War of the Worlds was out. Yeah. Um, War of the Worlds, well, yeah, with, uh, it was, there was a radio show. Yeah, that's right. But, um, but really, we need an eminent, horrid attack from out of our realm to bring us all God. together as a world. And that's science fiction. I hate that you're you're onto it. Like, <laughs> like if we could blame like aliens on global warming. Oh it gosh, would be yes. Fixed. Oh, are you kidding? In a minute, in a like, minute, moon men started making the planet hot exactly. with their planet heat exactly. ray. Exactly. <laughs> and oh, also they brought in COVID too. It was also aliens. Yeah, yeah. and they yeah. can end it if you all get vaccinated. Yeah. God. Okay. Anyway. Probably. Anyway, I yeah. know. I just and I don't. I don't see in my lifetime, hopefully in yours, and I think I think the whole thing rests with your generation raising children that are, and I love the words you used. You didn't say more educated. You said earlier. I, oh, not less um, ignorant? Yes, yes. <laughs> and I just think that, that that has to be, and they have to look around. They have to be not fearful. They have to be courageous. They have to love everybody no matter what they look like or how many tentacles they have or you know what their language is and I just it's not going to happen now I'd like to think that at some point people do get together as a world because right now we're so 
you know, we're so tribal. Oh, America, ooh, yeah. nationalistic, you know. Ooh, China, nationalistic. Ooh, Zimbabwe. I think we need to stop and say, no, no. <laughs> we're one world, and we have to solve the, the Brazilian uh, jungles. They help. We need to stop them from being burned down. We need the icebergs up in Greenland. We need, we need all this. We work together symbiotically as a world. And the only way we can do that is if we have another tribe out there of Klingons or whatever who come down. And, and you know, and that's the other thing too. Okay, I'm on a, a soapbox now. Um, <laughs> us sending out messages, letting the rest of the universe know we're here. Oh, bad news. When is the last time? A foreign country or world or species came to another species and said, Hi, we're in the neighborhood. We're just here for coffee and cookies. We just want to say hi, welcome. Oh, frick no. <laughs> you know, it's like, what can we explo exploit? We, we can take yeah. your diamonds. We can take your virgins. We can take your wheat. We can take your oil, you know, and take it back to our planet. Oh, and by the way, we can enslave all you people, too. You, you know, why we don't let people know we're here? Because <laughs> they're going to come invade us. I'm sorry, that's my bottom line. But then if they do, then maybe we can pull together and so, yeah. There we go. <laughs> there yeah. we go. So maybe there's a re rhyme to the reason, you know. So. I am going to rewind a little bit. Um, to <laughs> You were talking about, you know, people loving and just accepting one another. And uh, something I recently read is that culture changes by individuals choosing to be better and to lead that example. So I think that's where it starts and we have to be the bigger person even if well, we don't want to be. You know, I try in my history oh, yeah. class. I try. I try to show them. I say, here's... And, and I always ask about history in the beginning, what they think. Well, we learn from history. That's why we, we learn from it, so that we can go on and learn. And I say, we don't learn dingus from history, because if we did, we wouldn't be in this position where we are now, you know? Yeah. We don't learn from history. We just live it. So anyway, so I try, I try. I, I, this is my spiel to every every time I open my history class. Okay, don't invite aliens here. But if we do have aliens, we need to fight them so that we can come together as a country. And everybody goes, and they write in their notes. Okay, another Looney Tune professor. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, so have you seen the movie Arrival? Because I know you don't watch movies very often. No. Okay. Um, so. In Arrival, they have that happen where these aliens arrive and the military reacts, and they actually have a linguistics professor go out there. They have a, a couple of different teachers, um, and she learns to communicate. Oh, with is them. this the one with, um, with Amy? What's her face? Yes. Yes, I have seen it, and I did love it. Yes. Yes, yes you're right. Yeah. So I'm like, kind of yeah. in the face of that, like, that was a peaceful interaction. Yeah, it was. And that was pretty yeah. good. But, um, like you said, the military, I mean, and that's the first thing the military does, it's going to try to you know, kill it. I mean, in in, um, in all the early 1950s science fiction movies, there's always the military against the aliens, you know, because yeah. our military is going to kill. That's the first reaction. Let's kill it. I just think in, in and maybe that is part of um, just your growing up was just a lot more of that orientation. Because in my mind, it's like, I think things are going to become gamified, if you know what I mean. Like, in, because... You'll get in trouble if you force any borderlines or anything like that. There is a stasis uh, globally, whether we like it or not, is different. And whether, you know, internal politics are good or not is a different conversation. But there is a stasis 
in regards to uh, most borders. Um, Russia, <laughs> like side-eye. <laughs> um, but I think there is going to be a gamification. We're seeing it with how people, you know, gain wealth. Um, and we're seeing it with how far people can push technology. Um, and I think that's probably we're going to head towards more of the Ender's game. Like, um, even if there is a, any kind of battles, it would be all drone-oriented. Like, we would be removed from it as a society. And I think that that definitely has its flaws for transparency, but it also is a possibility of what that world peace would look like is everyone, you know, you're competing, but you're not going to die. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about that? I don't know. I think that the thought of imminent death makes things a little bit different. If I'm in a war and it's being fought in space and it's being fought by drones, I'm like, yeah, okay. But if, if, but we are facing imminent death with uh, the climate crisis. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, so that's why I'm like slow if we imminent it, death, though. I mean, it's painful. not. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to be. I mean, well, except for those islands, those poor islands out there that are they're yeah. getting it. I mean, but we're not. Or just storms are going to get worse and that kind of stuff. So right, but but it's going to be a slow, a thing. It's gradual. not. It's yeah. It's not like somebody's pulling in a tank and shooting my house then that's going to get my attention, you know. But global, and I think global, that's the problem with global warming is people read the news and say, oh, yeah, the rain is bad and so-and-so. Oh, yeah, the heat is bad and so-and-so. Oh, yeah, there's a fire. But they don't see the connections or the ramifications. But but it's not right unless you're, you know, obviously in California your house is burning or, you know, there's a fire up here coming over the ridge one summer. That's my biggest fear. Then then that's immediate, And, and I think, Atomic bombs and and tanks and bullets are immediate. I don't know, hmm. Morgan. I I just know that, like I said, I think this is a, this is a a bad time. I don't think it's the end times. I definitely don't think this is the end of life as we know it. No, it's, not it's, when we've got pot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a change though. I mean, we're going to change, and, and we don't like changes. So, yeah, but so we're we'll, not through with the change. No, but we'll bitch at. and moan about it. Oh, I don't want to change, and then we go about our business. You know, and and then mm-hmm. some people like that Greta. Oh, God, I love her. She does something. She's she walks the talk and talks the walk, and 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 I don't know how much change she's going to make, but at least she's out there trying to do something for global warming, and yeah. bless her little heart. So, so you think it'll take more imminent destruction? Like a lot more I to think get so. people's attention. I think so. I think it has to be like earthquakes daily, volcanoes daily, everybody. I mean, it seems like there's a certain part of the United States that doesn't get any tornadoes or earthquakes or fires yeah, or anything. Yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think when the cataclysm is happening, I mean, you would have thought that if anything would have gotten us up and going, it would have been COVID. Mm-hmm. You would have thought that would have brought us together. Yeah. That would have, we would have. I would definitely say it activated me. Yeah. And, yeah. and look at us two almost two years later. And now we're facing Omicron. And I'm tired. I don't want another variant. I just fucking get vaccinated, I, you assholes. Well, yeah, but Omicron is supposed to um, be more transmissible and vaccines don't work. Neat. Yeah, but they said don't panic. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, okay, we're in some grim territory. I know and I we are. And I was talking about how uh, wonderful Thailand was back in the olden days. I did want to say one thing, though. Yeah. You kind of diss the 50s a little bit. And I, I see I the reason you do. But having lived through it, oh, it was idyllic. TV was wonderful. Life was wonderful. I didn't have to wear a helmet when I rode my bicycle. I could stay out and play all night. Nobody bothered me. And it was... Um, just life was, I mean, it's not yeah. us old folks wishing for something that wasn't there. Yes, there was a certain group of people that still were were uh, put down and, and didn't share that same white suburbia that we grew up in. And, and I was by no rich rich. We were in the Air Force and we had hardly any money. But there was a sense of safety, even though the Cold War was going on. There was a sense of safety and that you knew that the person in the White House was going to take care of you. You knew that the streets were going to get cleaned. You knew that the police were going to be there when you needed them. You knew that the rain was going to come. It was going to be cold in the winter and warm in the summer, yeah. but not too warm. I mean, there was that innocence. And maybe that's what it was. It was just a veil of innocence. But it was really there. And then when Kennedy was shot, it all went to hell. It just... Yeah, and the Beatles came along, and that ruined everything too. And I love the Beatles, but they changed music. Oh, Elvis changed music too, but they changed music, and then drugs became people were afraid. I think it was really the, afraid yeah, of drugs, afraid the, of people with long hair, afraid. Oh, there's so much fear from the older people, you know. Yeah, and then then it all changed, and then yeah, but no, but don't don't diss the fifties. For the most part, it was it was a very nice time. I'm going to diss the 50s, but I will say the um, the book Dandelion Wine um, is is about uh, the author's childhood uh, growing up in the Midwest and very much like they would go out to the cinema and it would be a big thing and there was everyone was I don't think anybody ever called it the cinema. All right. Well, I call it that. The um, movies. We go to, to the, the movies. movies. <laughs> okay. For a dime. Yeah. So, and there, there was like, I think Dandelion Wine really captures that book, that sense that you're trying, you're describing where just, yeah, everyone felt safe. Um, or at least everyone in those neighborhoods felt safe. Well, I don't think um, it's something you can understand because you grew up and live in a, such a different time and different environment yeah. that for you, I mean, it's just like me trying to imagine what life was like in the 20s. I, I can't imagine um, anything about the women struggling for the right to vote, for prohibition, for um, the depression, I can't even imagine that. But my mother grew up in that time period, and she describes her life as idyllic. Also, it was tough. Her father didn't work, but so I think that. And I don't know what will you describe your child when, when did you grow up? Were nineties, two thousands? I did grow up in the nineties. Um, my childhood was a patchwork. So I, my parents divorced when I was five. Uh, so went from, you know, a two, two person income to a one person income. Um, there's some debate on what happened after that, um, between my parents, but, um, moved around quite a few times and then, um, spent, you know, a lot of time around Idaho. Um, and then because my mom got 
better and better promotions. And every time that I tell someone like, oh yeah, I moved around a lot as a kid, they're like, oh, was your dad in the military? And every Mm -hmm. time I'm like, no, my mom got promotions. Mm -hmm. My mom did better Mm -hmm. on her career ladder. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is apparently very uncommon for a a mother to be willing to relocate for a better job. Mm -hmm. But So yeah, ended up and that's an interesting thing culturally is to uh, be poor for a while and then be doing well and then being poor for a while and like um, and then my grandparents, we would visit them and they're out in the woods. And so, um, it was a lot of different exposures to a lot of different things. And which I think is typical mm. of your generation. Possibly. I mean, um, I have certainly met and I'll say dated people who had a lot more consistency in their childhood. For some odd reason, I attract men who have like gone to the same private school for most of their <laughs> life. I don't know why I attract private school boys, but I do. <laughs> I love it. Um, so yeah, the yeah. private school boys would have a different background. They very me. different backgrounds. Yeah. 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 So, mm. um, so yeah, I would say I, I can't really say that mine was idyllic by any means. Um, it worked and I'm really proud of my mom mm-hmm. uh, for the decisions and like how she parented. Um but yeah, it was kind of messy, and it's hard to describe to other people. Well, you know, my nephews are about your age, and they yeah. they both had kind of messy lives too. My my one set of nephews they moved around a lot because because of, of their father having different jobs, and then my other set of nephews had an alcoholic father and a, a mother who worked, and and she just did the best she could to keep that household together. And I would say neither one of them had the same life we did, although both their mothers, you know, did grew yeah. up with me. So, I, so yeah, I don't know if it was just well, situational or what. And I think we're on to something with um, jobs, because that's not, not the first time I've heard that before, of the way that employers worked, I would say, after the 80s, was that they stopped... There was a lot more competition for profit, and so they didn't take care of their employees in that way that I've heard of other companies. You know, like mm-hmm. you start at the bottom rung when you build mm-hmm. your way up, and then you you know you buy a house or whatever. And now I'm like, there are um, when I was working for the city of Boise, after about I want to say almost a year after applying to different jobs over and over again, I was like. It's impossible. It is impossible for me with my current qualifications to get anywhere in government because I don't have that background mm-hmm. and I didn't have specifically what they were looking for. And moreover, no one was willing to teach me that. Oh, that's a bummer. There was, yeah. as far as I felt, and it was, you know, of course, just my perspective that was lead, leading me to this conclusion, but there was no one who was going to take a chance on me uh, when there were dozens of people. 20 years older than me fighting for the same job mm, yeah so it's one of those things where like so I have to go to another city I guess to f- get where I want to be or I have to take classes at this other city or you know to to get into the kind of environment that will get yeah. you anywhere get any traction and so is, that's how it feels right now is that typical of your generation I mean of other people I mean I yeah because I know a lot of people who moved cities to cities um you know, I, I know a couple who moved from Chicago to Austin to Boise mm-hmm. um, because of job transfers. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, they say, and, and I, I teach a class on communication to the trades kids out at the airport, and they say that 
your generation will change jobs and careers seven times in your lifetime. Yeah. Versus the 50s when people went in, got a job, stayed there until they retired, you know. And nowadays it's, it's it has to be insecure. You have to have a certain oh, amount yeah. of insecurity, don't you think? I mean, do, yeah. Well, are you going to be able to go to the next heard, job that's better? Or? You have to apply for a new job every two to three years. Wow. It's also uh, something I've heard over and over again. And so, yeah, it's it's really scary. It's insecure. You're str- struggling to stay where you are. Trying, well, how does that all fit in with the great resignation that's going on right now? I mean, people just <laughs> tired of, I mean, yeah, what what's going on? A there? lot of people retired. And then the number of people coming in is very small. Mm. So it's it's really just people are having fewer children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, interesting. Well, and so we have a lot of positions that, in my opinion, don't need to exist. But yeah, or not because automation is so great. It's almost getting there, but it's not quite there. I think a lot of it is um, disorganization, and I've seen it firsthand where someone said like, "Hey, I like you know person X over here. I like Betty. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna just." You know, provide a better position for Betty. Mm-hmm. We're going to build her a position mm-hmm. where she does these tasks just because. <laughs> just because I like Betty. Just because mm-hmm. I like Betty and I want her to have, mm-hmm. you know, a better job. Yeah. Right. yeah. And I think that happens quite a bit, especially in government, because apparently reformation doesn't happen very often. So you mm-hmm. have to create these little bubbles and pockets. Interesting. Um, so that people can get any semblance of a reward in, a, in departments. Yeah, well, glad I so. didn't work in government. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was not a fan of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it does not suit my personality. <laughs> so did you, is yeah. that when you went to, to film school or did you do that before you? Um, I did film for about seven years. Um, so I went to film school at MSU, like right out of the gate. I wanted to take a gap year. My mom wouldn't let me. Boom. No, so I you went I right to school, school and took film. Yes. I knew nothing about the world. I knew nothing at all about how capitalism works. Me neither. Right? And it's just like, I feel like I felt so passionate about film that at one time I had a conversation with my dad and he was like, are you sure you don't want to, you know, look into anything else? And I was like, I'm going to do this or else I'll die. (laughs) Oh, youth. I remember youth. It was so passionate. And now I'm not doing it and I'm still alive. Weird. (laughs) Fuck wild. How'd that work out? Unexpected. Um, <laughs> I like to think of it as like maybe a part of me died, but I didn't need that part anyway. So. Oh no. <laughs> Anybody who works in film, you don't want that part to die. That's the best part of you. The little spark? Yeah. yeah the spark stays. That creative, creative mm-hmm. part. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and so I, you know, did film. I actually worked making commercials in Bozeman for a while. And then. I did left. too. Yeah. Who'd you work for? Um, it was the CNN branch, like KTV. KXLF. No. No, okay. I did KX, KXLF. Was that ABC? Bought yeah. by ABC. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so that, was, that was the competition. Oh. <laughs> so this was the branch of CNN. Um, oh. What I did was camera mostly. So mm-hmm. I would pack in the camera um, and the jib and the rig. And uh, then we would... <laughs> I clearly remember doing one commercial for a person selling jewelry. Mm-hmm. And so she had her thing that she wanted to say. And mm-hmm. so we we're like, okay. And then we framed her mm-hmm. up and she said her uh, sales pitch for mm-hmm. the commercial. And then we're taking, you know, beautiful mm-hmm. moving shots of mm-hmm. the jewelry, mm-hmm. a lot of blue. Mm-hmm. Cover uh, shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm Amethyst. Is mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she brings in her grandbaby, which is a baby. <laughs> 
<laughs> and she covers it in like that older style jewelry, like pretty heavy, a lot mm-hmm. of silver. Mm-hmm. Gosh, what is that? Um, the blue blue stone. Turquoise. That big stones on this baby. <laughs> so she was like, make sure to put that in the commercial. And I'm like, okay. Was so, the baby naked? Uh, it was like just wearing pants. Just like it wasn't mm-hmm. even, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. So, so was, you did. So she wanted, she had a vanity commercial. Huh? Yes. She wanted the baby. Very much so. So and how would her business do? <laughs> <laughs> it's still, still there. a lot of babies, it's still did there, she? Which is why I didn't say where it is or what yeah. it is. Anyway. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was the silliest thing oh. that I've ever done. Um, so a lot of them were that, where they were like, I have an idea of what I want to do. And I'm like, great. <laughs> you paid us. So we're here. They're the customer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Lots of them were like that. Yeah, I did that. I, I went, the person sold the ad and then I went and wrote the ad and then I, we had a cameraman who came in and did it and I directed it and yeah. they edited it and uh, that was fun. I really enjoyed that. Bozeman wasn't very big at the time I worked there. It was in the 80s. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So, so did oh, cool. that. So that's what you did. And, yeah. and In Bozeman. And mm-hmm. you didn't enjoy it? or It was okay? It was all right. I got kind of pushed out um, from that position. They just, uh, I think it was a budget. They say it's a budget thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, graduated, moved to L.A., mm-hmm. did all sorts of stuff there. And then I just kind of had a breaking point where I realized, like, I don't want to do this for the next 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you came home. Yeah. Came home to mom's basement. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Now you're finding yourself. <laughs> Who am I? Been finding what myself for like three or four yeah, years now, so. It took me 65 and I found myself. Well, thank I you. I found myself to be so. a little old lady. I'll have some patience with it. You're a badass woman. Don't even sell oh, yourself short. Oh, badass. I don't think so. I have no personality, remember? Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Well, thank you very much. But uh, no. Mm. I just uh, had an interesting life. I did. Yeah. Lucked out. Got lucky. So anyway. You're a badass woman too, though. Well, I know that. Yeah. Yeah, see, there's a difference between our generations. <laughs> I have to deny it, and you can own it. I love it. You can own it, too. You have permission, though. Okay, I yeah. wish to own it. Okay.
Hi, Joe. This Easter egg is for you. Thank you for listening and being a great friend. And also, I hope you have a happy 2022.